Chris Robin, Blondie, Caden, Brother Eric for your ministry to us with the instruments. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day that you give to us. Lord, thank you for this challenge. Every decision we, we stand at that crossroads. Lord, I pray right now that you'd remove distractions. So easy in a congregation like this to have or just simple distractions. I, I think about our, our phones, our electronic devices. And Lord, I pray that you just help each person, old and young, boy or girl, man or woman, to zone in on your word and what's being preached today. And that, again, if there are folks that need to repent, that they would do that today. If there are folks that need comfort, God, that you would give that to them today. Lord, please, bless now this simple message. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad for what is called in the Word of God, the faith. The faith. It's found in the book of Jude, verse number 3. It tells us that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. And it, it is the body of Christian truth that is contained here in the Word of God. I'm, I'm glad it was once delivered unto the saints, as it says in Jude 3. I'm glad it was given to the apostles, as it says in Ephesians 2.20. I'm glad it was passed down to the early church, the local church. Amen. I'm glad that it was sealed and marked out with the blood of martyrs through the ages who would not relent, who literally gave their lives to contend for the faith. I'm glad that it was passed down and has been passed down by faithful men and faithful women who shall be able to teach others also as Second Timothy chapter 2. And finally that it was entrusted to me and as I try to convey it to my children, there are certainly no guarantees. And all God's people said, Amen. every church is one generation from closing. Forgive me, every church is one bad staff hire from closing. Isn't that true? One, one apostate gets in the congregation and rips it apart. Every church. And so I, it's contained, again, within the pages of the Word of God. And, and it's lived out by the people of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means the, the truths of this book are not the writings of Timothy or the writings of Paul or the writings of Moses. They are the writings of God Almighty. Amen. The faith. But then not only is that faith contained in the Word of God, but it's lived out by the people of God. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. It says, for as much, verse 2 says, ye are our epistle. Paul says, uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit, you're our book. In essence, he says, you are our Bible. Written in our hearts, known and read of 
Solomon says this, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. You know, the book of which is not in the Bible. But the book of which is the only Bible some people will ever read. And it's the same for you. You, you, forgive me, you are the Bible on your job, sir. Amongst all those ungodly co-workers, you're the one that they look to. And they, you're the one that they mock, but then somebody gets sick. And you're the one they come to. And they say, my mom is sick. And I know you're a Christian. And I know you pray. I'm so thankful that the faith is lived out by the people of God. Galatians 6, 10 tells us that we are of the household of faith. It tells us here that if you're a child of God, by the way, not everyone is a child of God. It tells us very specifically how to be a child of God in Galatians 3.26. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God today because one day I was confronted with the fact that I'm a sinner, that sinners cannot save themselves, that sinners owe the wages of sin, that Jesus Christ loves sinners, and he came and died so I wouldn't have to, and that if I would trust him, I could have all my sins forgiven. Amen. That's what it is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. James, again as we mentioned, is the epistle of practical Christian living. You can read the book of James in probably about 12 minutes. But I want to tell you what. There are so many eternal truths in the book of James that I wouldn't recommend reading it in 12 minutes. Uh, you, you, James is one, I call it a, a, a lingering book. You, you, you know, if you ever want to visit to somebody as a pastor, I have some wonderful visits, amen. And Miss Gloria and I had a great visit uh, the other day. And uh, when I, listen, when I go to Miss Gloria's, I don't plan on being there just a couple minutes. We're going to sit a spell. And she did have something baking in the oven. She didn't offer me any, though. I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm withering away to nothing up here. Amen? <laughs> no, listen, Miss Judy, if I come over and visit you and Bill, I plan to be there a little bit. Okay. Amen? We're going to fellowship. Amen? That's just the way, that's the way. James is like that. The book of James, you start reading in the book of James, you're like, oh, right off the bat, what's it talk about right there in verses uh, 1 through 4? Trials. Difficulties. And how God uses them in our lives. And we still don't like them. That's why James says, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations or various trials. Knowing that the, tr the trying of your faith worketh patience. I'll never forget years ago we had a young lady in our church. And uh, reminded me, never pray for patience. No need. It'll come on its own. I'll never forget, she said, she said, uh, she said, I prayed for patience and God gave me twin boys. <laughs> I remember there was a point where she had, she had four kids under four. 
That's patience right there. That, that, that's patience. It'll work patience. But then it goes on a little further. I think about in, in verse 13, if you look at chapter number 1. It talks about, it says, let no, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. What's it talking about here? It's talking about temptation source. And temptation source is not only satanic, but it's also self, isn't it? Drawn away of your own lust and enticed. And then it tells us the, the, the awful birthing process here. It says, for in verse 15, Then lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, again, I'm just, just kind of skimming the surface here by way of introduction. James deals with the sin of being a respecter of persons. It's a sin, sadly, which is prevalent in churches. Or you see somebody come in all dressed right and they got the right kind of Bible and all that and we want to walk over to them and say, hey, how are you? But I'll tell you what, we ought to walk over and say, hey, how are you to anybody no matter how they're dressed. Again, mentioned already, but in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, James deals with faith, faith and works. And it's real simple. It really, really is. Works don't save, but works show other people that you are saved. And works is a natural fruit that falls off the tree of faith. Amen. If you have any works at all, and you've been saved a long, 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 long time, it's time to examine yourself whether you be in the faith, whether you're truly saved. I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying that the Bible says there ought to be some evidence. Forgive me, if you've ever been around an apple tree and there was a windstorm, there ought to be some windfalls. There ought to be some windfalls. The Holy Ghost windstorm came through your heart. There ought to be some windfalls in your life, amen, after years and years and years of being saved. So, uh, temptation source, verses uh, 13 through 16 of chapter 1. Chapter 2, 1 through 9, uh, respect to a person. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, faith, with, faith, faith in works. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. All about one thing. The most dangerous member of Loomis Park Baptist Church. The tongue. The tongue. It says it's a little member, but it setteth on fire the course of hell if it's untamed. Remember later in that chapter it would say, James is trying to give an illustration about controlling your tongue. He said, does a fountain send forth sweet water and bitter? And he talked about how some, sometimes we bless with one side of our mouth and curse with the other side. I remember, oh, I remember early on in my Christian life being around God's people and being so nervous because I was newly saved and I still had a language problem. And it wasn't English. It was things that I used to say with lost people. And boy, the Holy Spirit started working. And I, rem I remember we invited our pastor over for dinner, and I was afraid that I was going to curse by mistake. I've had people do it with me, and they go, Oh, pastor, I'm sorry. And I always go like this. Be sorry to him, amen? No, I remember uh, the tongue, the tongue. You know how many churches have been destroyed by one wagon tongue? 
sister long tongue and brother Wigglejaw huh? have torn churches apart. And it tells us right there in the book of James, it's just, uh, verses 1 through 12, all about the tongue, controlling the tongue. Then in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, it tells us about godly wisdom and fleshly wisdom. It's a tremendous passage of Scripture. Really, it talks about when there's, when there's fleshly wisdom, there's strife and confusion and every evil work in it. And I always think about it within the church body, but when there's godly wisdom, it's first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated. That, you know, that brother that you get offended, and then that person comes to you and they say, you know, I'm really sorry, that was my fault. And next thing you know, there's peace and, and, and there's godly wisdom there. Godly wisdom. Then in chapter 4, of course, verse 4, it deals with friendship with the world. And I love James. I really do. I always say James kind of punches you in the nose. You say, he say, you're a friend of the world and you claim to be a child of God. He says, you're the enemy of God. You know, James wouldn't draw crowds, that's for sure. Amen? But he told the truth. And in chapter 5, Verses 1 through 6, it deals with trusting in uncertain riches. And of course, the end of chapter 5, it deals with, with prayer. Thank the Lord for, fervent, for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Availeth much. Amen. And we learn so much. So again, in chapter chapter 1 here, we have the testings in verses 1 through 12. And, and then we have the temptations in verses 13 through 16, and, and we're moving towards the end of chapter 1 here. Today we're looking at the, the remaining uh, portion of Scripture. By the way, it's tremendous. You see in verse number 17, I'm, I'm just kind of hitting some highlights before we really get into the, the meat of the message here, but it tells us that, that every good thing we have comes from God. Everything. Hey, if you have a good godly family, thank God. Sir, you have a good wife? Thank God. He that findeth, his, findeth a wife findeth a good thing, the Bible says, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Proverbs 18.22. Hey, I think several of us have never really known hunger or cold. Some have. And by the way, when you do know hunger and cold, you appreciate warmth and food. Don't you? Every good gift, and I love what it says about God here. It says, in whom is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. You know what that tells me? God never changes. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Yes, sir. You ought to be. Because that means what he says goes. And if he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and you call upon the name of the Lord, then you shall be saved. Amen. You can trust him. And then, obviously, verse 18, it talks about what, it, what we know of is to be born again. Of his own will begat us with what? With the word of truth. I've said it before, I'll say it again. As long as the Lord gives me breath, nobody gets saved without the word of God involved in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's spoken, whether it's written, amen, the word of God is involved when somebody gets saved. Begat us again. And it goes on. I love what it says there. He said, because, because every good gift comes from God, and because of his own will he begat us by the word of truth. And what does it say? It said, be swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Grandma's advice is still good advice. God gave you two and one. So listen twice as much as you talk. 
Not easy for a preacher, Brother Downing, amen, to, to abide in that verse. But it's true. Very, very true. He said, because of God giving you all those good gifts, and because God never changes it, and because of his own will, he begat us. And be, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And he, he goes on, he talks about, tells us, because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, just rottenness, sin, get it out of your life, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. I've said this before, every time the word of God is preached, don't focus on the messenger. Focus on the message. That this is from God for me. I've had people, I've had times where I have preached and I mean not only did I lay an egg go to majors, but I could have filled up eight of those cartons that you bring in. I mean, it was just like... And then somebody has the audacity to come up to me in the line and say, Pastor, that was the greatest message I ever heard in my entire life. And, and I needed that. And, and I'm sitting there like... I say, well, it's proof positive that the Word of God can do things. When, 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 when the messenger is a mess, he can still make a message out of it. Amen. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, praise the Lord. It goes on there. Obviously, it talks about, and we're going to look at this, uh, but sadly, when I think about one of the great blots on this age, I, I think about this term religion. This term religion. And I've seen cute little Facebook things that say, uh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And I, yes, yes, I, I get all that. But the word religion is used five times in the Word of God. Five times. In J, or Acts chapter 26, verse 5, in Galatians 1, 13 and 14, it is regarding Jewish worship. The Jews' religion. Okay? And then the second two times it's used is in our text right here, if you look at verse 26 and 27. Once it's used in the negative, and once it's used in the positive. Negatively, it says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's what? Religion is vain. But then in verse 27 it tells us this. Pure what? Pure religion and undefiled. So it talks about pure religion. Again, one of the great blots upon our age is compromise with the world in regards to religious worship. We see it all over. By the way, it is nothing new. The first compromiser, the first modernist was Cain. Cain, God said, this is how I want worship to be done. There's to be a blood sacrifice, and Abel, by faith, brought a more excellent sacrifice. And Cain said, well, I'll just do things my way, and it'll be fine. And God said, no, it's not. He had not respect unto Cain's offering. Remember that? Cain brought the best of the vegetable, And I'm telling you, there's a lot of churches that are bringing the best of the vegetable garden. And it's wrong. And it's wicked. And they're bringing in the world. They're, they're trying to be like the world to win the world. That never works. The world wins the church that way. I think of 
Pharaoh. I think I think of the time. You remember the time in Second Samuel chapter six where they moved the ark. Remember the ark represented the presence of God. That's what it was. And God had specific rules for how it should be transported. He said, you got these rings on the side, you put these long poles through the stage, and there were certain people, you remember, that carried it. And everything was fine when it was that way. You remember what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7? The Philistines took it, the people of God took it back, the Israelites took it back, but they put it on a cart. It says a new cart. They put it on that cart and they began to move it and it tipped. Remember that? Those of you that know your Bible. And Uzzah thought he would do God a favor and keep it from tipping over. And he put his hand up, Brother John, to keep the ark from tipping over. And what happened? Because that ark represented the very presence of God and His holiness, God killed him. And I'll tell you what, I look back at that thousands of years later and think, don't mess with God's worship. Do not mess with God's worship. Just don't do it. I had a friend of mine yesterday contact me. He's a wonderful pastor friend. and He said, we have an opportunity to minister with the Word of God in a sundown unit. Some of you know what a sundown unit is, a dementia unit. And he said, do you have any experience with that at all? I said, I don't, but here's what I would do if I were you. I said, I'd sing a whole bunch of the old hymns. I've seen people with dementia who could sing the third verse of the old rugged cross. Not the first verse and not the fourth verse, which we always seem to sing at church, amen? I'm telling you, I mean the third verse. The third verse means they know it. And I said, I would have a ton of singing of the old hymns. I said, I'd, I'd bring special music from the church quartets, and I'd be right all out of the hymn book, and I would preach simple messages like John 3.16. In Romans 5 because a lot of those people might already be saved some of them might not be some of them may not be able to comprehend anything but you might by some means save some amen cast them that net. think about the old time religion it's a term here in America it's, it's just, by the way it's one of our hymns give me that old time religion give me that old time religion give me that old time religion it's good enough for me. all the stanzas. It was good for mother and father. It was good for Paul and Silas. Amen. The old time religion. What do we think of when we think of the old time religion? I tell you what we think of. We think, we think of a better day. We think of holiness. We think of people living right. We think of people that were after, people that claimed to be the people of God were after sinners. Give me that old time religion. But sometimes... As somebody this morning was telling me about some old-time religion down south where people run around the auditorium. I think that's just old exercise, personally. Amen. I can only imagine. I, I was in a service one time where somebody did that, and I literally sat there like this. I mean, 
Now, trust me, I'm the kind of pastor that if I preach, hey, bodily exercise profit, everybody ought to get a little exercise, and then I duck because the tomatoes are coming, you know. And, and uh, No, really, like, okay, that, that's not old-time religion. It may be associated with all. Hey, old-time old religion is not how big a Bible you have. Amen? It, forgive me, old-time religion, and, and by the way, I'm for this, I'm for dressing right. Old-time religion is not how long your skirt is. And, and listen, I'm for dressing right. Ladies, I'm for ladies dressing modest. I think there's a lot of immodesty. I, I'm, for, I'm for distinctions between men and women. You wonder why we got the problems in the world that we got? is because churches are blurring the lines of the distinctions between how men and women ought to dress. Yeah. I'm for all those things. Those things may be associated with old-time religion, but they're not old-time religion. Old-time religion is found right here in this text. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Look with me at verses 21 through 25. Let's read those and we'll give you the first one. I have four points today. I don't think I have any sub-points, so it'll be a short one today. Yeah, good. You're like, yeah, good one, Pastor. That's funny. Good, good joke there, Pastor. Verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Here it is. Here's the first part of old-time religion. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like unto a man beholding his natural face in glass, and beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the word of God here, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Number one, old-time religion. Number one, old-time religion complies with the word. It complies with the Word of God. And it tells us here in, in verse 21, it speaks of rejection. And it tells us there that we're to, to put apart, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Can I, can I say this? We ought to get so familiar with our Bible, and we ought to reject what God rejects. Not because mom and dad do. No, that's a good reason for children. But there comes a point where children become adults. And we ought to, when, when God says no about something, or don't, we ought to say no and don't. Rejection. There's, there's rejection there in complying with the Word of God. And there's reception in verse 21. What does it say there? It says that we are to receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. A couple of weeks ago we preached on the noble Bereans and the Thessalonians and it says about them that they receive the Word of God not as the Word of men but as the very Word of God. Again, just as you read this book, as you have your devotions, as you listen to sermons, I, I encourage you, if you, you journal, you should journal. Or if you mark your Bible Mark your Bible just as God speaks to your heart because it is not man's book, it is God's book. There's rejection and reception. And then there's resolution. Resolution. And the resolution is this. And we've talked about this. I have, I'm supposed to speak at a Christian school at the end of this month. And... Uh, 
plan to literally, you know, obviously God can change my mind, but I plan to preach from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 about the two builders. The two builders. One, both of them built beautiful homes. Both of them did. Both of them worked hard. Both of them gathered all the materials, did all that. One built his foundation on the rock, and one built it on the sand. And God tells us, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us there, he said, the one who built his house upon the rock is the one who hears the word and does it. The one who builds his house on the sand is the one who hears the word and disregards it. Doesn't do it. It's literally the difference between a successful, blessed life and a ruined life is what you do, your reception of the Word of God. That's the reception. The reception, you're not only the rejection and the reception, but the resolution is, I am going to do what God says. And it he, he gives us here, it's a little bit of a different illustration, but he gives us the idea here of a mirror. He says there in verse number 23, If any man be a hearer of the word and not unto a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man. Okay, now let's, we're in January, so I can say this without impunity. It's the season of resolution. It's the season of looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, it's time to, time to either grow a beard or get rid of that double chin. Now the rocks are really coming. You should see the looks I'm getting, right? I'm not looking at anybody. I'm literally looking at the clock right now. Amen. Not looking anybody in the eye. <laughs> now what happens? We, we look in the mirror and we say, ah, okay, I need to make some changes. And then we just go and don't make any changes. Come on now, just you can say oh me. I understand we're talking about these things, but it's it's using this in a spiritual. It's saying that this book is a mirror. This book, this this is the perfect law of liberty. This is this is the glass that you can look into. It says in verse number twenty-five, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. See. If you are reading this book correctly, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, you need to change that. You need to make some changes. Oh, preacher will preach on witnessing. You haven't witnessed in days, months, or years. I'm telling you, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit will say, you need to get back to doing that. And what you can do is you can either say, you know what, you're right, and I'm going to do it. Or you can say, you're right, and I'm not going to do it. See, old-time religion complies with the Word of God. Being doers of the Word, not hearers only. There are, there are, for every doer of the Word, there's ten hearers. And you know what you want to be? You want to be the doer. I, and that's, you know what? That takes resolution. I'm going to be a doer of the Word. When God says something, I'm going to do my best to do it. God says this is so, then it's so. Old-time religion complies with the Word of God. 
It's the old time religion that will cause one to stand upon the promises no matter what. Number two, verse 26. Old time religion complies with the word of God. Number 26, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. It's interesting, that phrase is also used in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. What's it say? Deceiving your own self. It means literally, if you're a somebody who knows what the Word of God says and you make it a consistent pattern not to do it, you will become self-deceived as toward your disobedience. You won't even think it's disobedience. That's frightful. But then it says this, so if, you, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, I just tell people how I feel. You better be glad I don't. I have something to say to you, sir. <laughs> Any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. What do we learn here? Old-time religion complies with the word of God. Secondly, old-time religion controls the tongue. Amen. That's good preaching right there, Pastor. Yeah. Old-time I'm amazed many times by what Christians say and what they say about others. And there are times where I just stop and I say, you know, you're going to have to give an account for that at the judgment seat of Christ. Because every idle word that man speaks, he will give account thereof in the day of judgment. It just, it, it just blows me away. I remember reading a book on preaching and by, by a famous preacher. And I love what he said. He was, he was talking about things like this, and he, he said, Don't say what you think when you first think it. He was counseling pastors. And then he said, And maybe not at all. You ever, you ever taught that to your kids? You know, the old, the old, I think it was George Washington said, hey, when you're upset, count to 10, you know, before you speak, or count to 100. And I don't know if that was me when I was a kid. I'd probably end up counting to, like, infinity. I'm so mad, amen. Just, I'm going to tell you something. Gossip, tail-bearing, backbiting is really fire-starting amongst God's people. You know what you should do? Forgive me, I don't say it often in the pulpit. You should shut up. You should, you should close the hole under your nose. Stop talking. Really, some people, my goodness, they get in the phone call ministry. That, that ministry's full, by the way. We don't, we don't need people getting in the phone call. Did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, no, I didn't. And so-and-so wasn't even there, didn't do that or anything. And next thing you know, uh, you, you, you ever done that? We, we used to do, remember we used to do prayer chains that way? We'd do prayer chains, this person would call this person, this person would call this person. And they'd say, did you hear the pastor died? No, I'm the pastor, amen? <laughs> now we just do one voicemail, goes out to everybody. <laughs> oh. Old-time religion controls the tongue. You know what? If you can't control your tongue, your religion's vain. That's what it says. That's what James said. If 
you've got true old-time religion, the Holy Ghost is not only resident in your heart, but he's president, your tongue will be under control, sir, ma'am. Old-time religion complies with the word of God. It controls the tongue. Again, read James chapter 3. That, it's about an uncontrolled tongue. Number 3, and I love this, in verse 27. Chapter 1, verse 27. Old-time religion complies with the word of God. Controls the tongue. Look at verse 27. What's it say there? It says, pure religion and undefiled. Is it... it I tell you what, I've read this verse and meditated on this verse countless times to think about. Have you ever thought God could do so much more if I could just get out of the way? Like, I mess things up that God wants to do. I tell you, it might just be pastors that feel that way, but I think the people of God feel that way. It's like, boy, if I could just, somebody else could do this so much better and all that. But here's something that I've learned through the years that... If you do what this verse says, you can't mess it up. You cannot mess this up. Because it says it's pure and it's undefiled. What's it say? Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. I was looking over our widows list the other day. And I thought to myself, and I, I was just writing some, some names on my personal prayer list of people that had been widowed recently. They're in their affliction. They're in their affliction. I had such a great visit with Miss Glory the other day. She just mentioned, she said, eating at the table is difficult. Think about that. Think about that. What's the point here? point is, number one, old-time religion complies with the Word of God. Number two, old-time religion controls the tongue. Number three, old-time religion cares about people. See, that's sometimes the thing that's missing in our political churches. Well, we're just always right-wing and just, you know, conservative and all this. And we, don't care, we don't care one iota whether sinners die and go to hell or not. don't care. You know how I know we don't care because we don't tell anybody. This tells me right here that old-time religion cares about the fatherless and the widows. You know what I think about that? The bus ministry and the the widows ministry. I I was blessed. I, I, I saw recently a church in our area, not of our stripe, they're different. But they had a bus out front, Miss Judy. And I love that. I love that. We don't agree on everything. We agree on salvation. Amen. But I love the fact that they care about people. I, th- I think, again, a church, any church of, of reasonable size ought to have a transportation ministry. It ought to care. It ought to just care. Remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan? Love that story, that parable. That man that was willing to justify himself and, you know, Jesus said, just go and, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said, well, who's my neighbor? He didn't say it because he had a legitimate question. It says he said it to justify himself. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story of a man who was going down to Jericho and he was 
beaten and stripped naked and left to die. And priest came by. Priest. And he saw him and he passed by on the other side. And then a Levite came to where he was and looked at him. And then he went on the other side. And then a Samaritan, oh, despised half-breed that the Jews hated and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And the Samaritan came by and he leaned down to where this man was and I don't know what the man said. He might have just said, help. Help. And that Samaritan took him and said, oh, it's going to be okay. And he began to, to gently blot his wounds and pour in oil and wine or medicinal at the, at the time, Bible times. And, and he puts him on his own beast. He says, I'll, I'll walk. You, you sit up here. It'll be more comfortable for you. And you just lay right there against him. And, we'll, and they come to an inn. And he, he comes to the innkeeper and he says, here, I want you to take care of him. I don't know if the innkeeper was rough or not. He might have been Brother Stark. He might have said, well, you know, as long as the money holds out. And he said, whatever it costs you to take care of him, I'll, I'll pay here. Take this and I'll pay you. And then Jesus looked at that man that was willing to justify himself and said, now go do him like, go do thou likewise. Which man was neighbor unto the man who fell among thieves? And I love the fact that the man couldn't even say the Samaritan. You read that? He couldn't bring himself to say it. He said, well, I suppose the one who showed mercy on him said, go and do thou likewise. Listen, God help us, church, if we swell our ranks here and don't care about people. We have people in our church right now that are hurting. Every time, Melissa and Mario, every time I see you, precious folks, and I thank you so much for coming. I really do. I know it's not easy for you to come. I know it's not. Their precious boy and Mar, gone to heaven, 19 years old. They're, those, those people are hurting. Does anybody care? I think we do. Miss Gloria is hurting. The, the Perrine ladies are hurting. There's others I know, Downing family hurting. Others of you, please, I'm not, I'm not minimizing. Some of you have been hurting for years, dealing with difficulties. The older I get, the more tears I have, and I'm glad for them. I'm glad for them. I'm not, I'm not glad that I have them, and I'm not glad that you have but I'm glad that I care enough that God will squeeze my heart. Amen. But see, see, it's a rough place when you're so cold and so callous that you don't cry when you see somebody else hurting. See, pure religion, old-time religion, cares about people. Again, old Dr. Vic still doesn't get any better missions conference-wise. By the way, for our missions conference this year, Dr. Dave Carr, daughter, 25 years old, was murdered last year. Murdered. We're going to be a blessing to him. He's going to try to be a blessing to us, but we're going to be a blessing to him. All those missionaries we have. Tell you what, each one of us, I think, sometimes needs to check the condition of our heart. Oh, I love that old-time religion preacher. Do you care about people? Or you just like the preaching? Sometimes that's what old-time religion Oh, I just love that red-hot preaching. I, and listen, I'm all for good preaching. Good preaching helps. That doesn't, that's not old-time religion. Just because the preacher can preach. Old-time religion.
religion complies with the word of God. It controls the tongue. Cares about people. You know what it does? Lastly, it changes one's life. It changes one's life. It changes the lives after ours, too. Look at verse 27, the end. <clears throat> so it tells us there, the first part, where we care about people. It says, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And here's the other part. To keep himself unspotted from the world. That's not easy. But I'll tell you how it happens, how it's accomplished. When you become a child of God, you stop looking at this world as your home. Because it's not. See, we have an eternal home. I, I'm so glad. Again, I, I think I mentioned this in Sunday school, but I heard a pastor friend who posted today, what's something you're thankful for? And, and things came to mind right away. I thought about, thought about my family. I thought about salvation. I thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought about the Word of God. I, I thought about, you know, a warm home on such a cold... All, all kinds of things that came to mind right away and just kind of this counter-blessings type list. But something really just began to grip my heart. And it's this. That I am kept by the power of God. Amen. If you're saved, if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus, you've called upon His name, you not only couldn't save yourself, you can't keep yourself saved. God does the saving and the keeping, and all God's people said. But if that's you, if you're saved and kept... If you'll allow the Holy Ghost in your life, He'll change you from the inside out. He'll change your life. Again, the only people in this building who knew me before I was saved are my blessed mother and my sweet wife. Oh, everybody else knows me as Pastor Rich. But if I go back to New England, there's a lot of people that still remember Rich. And they could tell you things that Rich did. And they would all be true. And I'm not giving the devil any glory. I'm saying this. There has been a change in my life. Some of you, some of you are saved, saved young, prodigaled away, came back. Listen to me. Praise God for you. That's, that's what we said. When you read Luke 15, you, you can't but say that. Praise God you came back home. There was a change. Something happened to bring you back to the Father's house. Amen? Back into the Father. And so it says here this, that, that, that we'll keep himself unspotted from the world. So the world is not the Christian's home. But we live here. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we must keep clean in this filthy world. It's why Jesus, when he gave the, the illustration of washing the disciples' feet, it wasn't that that was an ordinance. I know some people think that that's an actual ordinance. It's not. It doesn't picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There's, it, there's nothing wrong with it if people want to do it, but... It was 
just a display of humility. But remember what he said. He said something in John 13, 10. He said, he said, you're clean, but you need to have your feet washed. And what he meant was this idea that you and I, in God's eyes, were already clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're already clean. Our, our, our places are we're seated in heaven. The reservation's made on the back of the chair, and I don't think it's made with a piece of paper you can tear off. I think it's, it's engraved in there. Richard Zavonsky. Hopefully I get next to sit next to Carrie Zavonsky. Not sure if I want to sit next to Luke Zavonsky, though. I'm not sure about that. Just kidding, buddy. But, as we walk through this world, just like the disciples would walk on the roads of Rome, their feet would get dirty. And they needed to have them washed. You know what that is? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's when God convicts us of something. We, we, we get our feet washed as we walk through this wicked world. Keep himself unspotted from the world is this idea not of never sinning, but when we do, asking God to forgive us. And here's what it says. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Forgive me. He's got that heavenly bleach for your white robe. You got the, one day we're going to have a white robe. In God's eyes, we already wear it. We get a spot on it, and we confess, and God takes that the blood of Christ and blots out that spot and that stain. That's old-time religion. See, old-time religion will change your life if you let it. If you let it. So what do we learn about old-time religion today? It's not... It's it's not just camp meetings. I'm all for camp meetings. Nothing wrong with tent meetings and all these things. I, I've, I've enjoyed them through the years. Praise God for them. It's not just great quartet music. I love that too. I think standards are proper and right and part of old-time religion. Yes, having, having the right Bible. That's important. Amen. None of those things are old-time religion. They're just byproducts of old-time religion. Old-time religion complies with the Word of God, controls the tongue, cares about people, and changes your life. That's what old time... You know what we need to say? Give me that old time religion. Father, bless now.